Hi everyone and welcome to the Science Rudy podcast where I talk to amazing women in science, music and the arts. Today I talk to Kirsten Mackley. Uh, Kirsten is a qualitative researcher, social researcher with a background in cultural studies, audience research and more recent specialism in visual and sensory ethnography as applied to the study of digital technologies and everyday life. She's currently a senior uh, research associate um, at the UCL Knowledge Lab and works on the on In Touch project, where she explores the social impact of digital touch technologies on human communication. Uh, without further ado, I'm very excited to hear more about her work um, from Kirsten herself. So, so welcome. How how are you this morning? I'm fine. Well, thank you. I guess you're working from home at the moment as well. I am, yes. I've been, I've recently come back from maternity leave, mm-hmm. um, but I have not actually been into London to meet the team. We've been doing everything online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess, is, was there anything I left out out of the intro that that, um, that I missed out or, or something that you're currently working on as well in, in addition to the InTouch project? No, the, the InTouch project is, is my work at the moment. Yeah, really. yeah. It's a great intro. Yeah. And so can you, because obviously I know um, some of your colleagues as well working on the project, um, can you tell us a bit more kind of what you're working on today within the InTouch project? And um, yeah, just, just basically framing what it is and I guess from a more practical standpoint, what you're looking into um, as well. Yeah, so maybe just to give you a bit more of a, um, a general idea of the project, I know you've talked to Kerry in the past, so people can look up that podcast, um, that would give you a great introduction to the InTouch project already, but just if you haven't, um, it's uh, the InTouch project is a um, five-year project funded by the European Research Council. Um, and as you say, it's all about uh, the ways, the, the social implications of emerging touch technologies. Um, so how emerging technologies impact um, on the ways we, we interact with each other, communicate with each other. My work, I've, I've been engaged in across the project, but I've specifically been working on um, particular case studies. So one was on biosensing and the way in which... Um, little biosensing socks called owlets um, uh, remediated, I suppose, the, the touch relationship between parents and babies. We did a case study on that. Um, another one I've been quite heavily involved in has been about the design um, of a digital touch toolkit for designers. So uh, we had a collab- we've been working with a um, with design um, academics at Loughborough University and with their students to explore touch as part of their product design and um, through the work of the students, actually product and industrial design I think, um, and through the work of the students we came across a number of issues that don't really get addressed um, when designers come to touch without having any sort of a preconception of, of how touch could work um, in products and services. Um, and also we, we found that um, certain social issues um, and, and sensory issues hadn't, hadn't kind of been addressed or could be addressed more, more meaningfully perhaps. So we've been developing a toolkit to help designers 
put tattoo it to set at the center of their design process. Um, and we're just in the process of digitizing this, this toolkit as well. Um, and then most recently, coming back from maternity leave now, I started a little project on um, the on, on, on COVID as part of our general reframe case studies and development of new case studies around the pandemic. Um, I'm looking at uh, newspaper discourses of touch and touch technologies and how these might be shaped through corona, through the coronavirus hmm. discourse. Yeah, I, I guess coming back to your last project then as well, it, I mean, obviously today touch is a very rare thing. Um, and because you focus on digital touch and have been in the past, uh, like what 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 are your initial findings or, um, or yeah, uh, or, or kind of what will be, obviously now we interact much more through digital technologies um, there's kind of, I guess, the you know the digital bracelets potentially that give you a hug or something are potentially more soul at the moment. I'm not sure, but to just keep that connection with people, uh, and yeah, I was just wondering how your um, your 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 thoughts are about it, and also your your thoughts your your research findings as well. Mm, yeah, so I'm I'm still very much in the middle of. Um analyzing the, the newspaper articles and um, trying to, part, part of the work really is, is trying to locate touch um, in these newspaper articles and um, there are a number of, and also there's, there's, a, there's a focus for this particular case study, study on remote personal communication as well and so part of the part of my work in the last few weeks has been to actually find the boundaries around that what do we mean by personal um, relationships personal communication um, how does the digital generally feed in, into this kind of communication setup and then where does this touch come, come in and so anything I say now is very um, preliminary because I'm still analyzing but I suppose what has become evidence so far is that, that a focus on touch and the digital has definitely emerged in newspapers and um, the pandemic has sort of refocused that interest which had been there in the lead up a little bit um touch has been described as in crisis i suppose for the last few years either because um as you say we don't touch enough but i suppose that is that is also um, a particular discourse and it depends what kind of touch we talk about i suppose um or because we, we, we you know, there is unwelcome touch, uh, abusive touch, the kind of the wrong kind of touch, um, and so there's a crisis around that. So that's that's kind of those kinds of discourses seem to um, continue into the COVID discourses, but um, the digital is is I suppose brought into focus more as in this binary opposition as either a bit of a saviour because it's, it's um, during during lockdown and, and moments of isolation, um, digital technologies have helped people to connect and um, to overcome certain you know, elements of loneliness. Um, but it's also be, always um, thematized, I suppose, as, as not enough and, and as so unlike your um, physical engagement with other people. Um, and interestingly, even though touch technologies, as we study them on the project, um, you know, haptic technologies, 
um, for remote communication, the, the bracelets that you mentioned, um, even though they pop up in in newspapers um, leading up to the pandemic, I, I haven't actually found much on them as a, as a sort of form of solution um, to the the current, current um, issues of, of disconnect, maybe. Um, where they do pop, pop up, they, they pop up in, in relation to um, online dating mm-hmm. um, and the general notion of, uh, well, basically sex across the newspapers. <laughs> um, this idea of how can you, you know, either enrich your sex life during the pandemic or find new connections with people if you're... If you're um, separate from each other and I'm also partly looking at the whole um, body of discourse around what was described as the sex ban mm-hmm. um, during the during earlier in the summer <clears throat> and then more recently I think in September as well where um, if you did not live with your partner um, and you weren't you weren't allowed to meet indoors you also obviously weren't allowed to do anything else indoors um, this kind of uh, the, the restrictions that were put on on, on the nation by the government um, were described as a sex ban, and, and in that relate in that context, very um, occasionally there are uh, mentions of teledildonics and, and things and things like that. So um, a very niche, I suppose, aspect of the tax technologies that we're looking at. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess like link link to that, obviously. Are you also looking into this in a broader perspective, like supported by or working together with like psychologists or people looking into how, for example, because you've worked on isolation before and I guess monitoring, I guess how it would impact the the change of physical touch to digital touch or no touch on, on people's mental health and, and so on as well. We don't currently uh, work with psychologists, to my knowledge. Um, I should say uh, one of the PhD students on the project, uh, Lili Goy-Mohamedi, does some really interesting work on loneliness and digital touch. And um, I think she's actually about to uh, use the the hay bracelets um, um, as part of her, her research. And explore those, but again, more I think from a social perspective than a psychological perspective. Um, we do work with artists. We've had some really interesting collaborations with various artists on um, on the Intouch project, and currently also with uh, choreographers and dancers. So an earlier project called Attach Diaries, um, which looks at sort of the idea of the of absence of touch again, and how that can maybe become more present. Um, through the practices of dancers who've got a very specific relationship to their bodies and to the environment. So they they experience touch in a very particular way and make touch pertinent, I suppose, um, and resonant to themselves in their practice. And um, the Touch Diaries at the time uh, worked with dancers and participants in workshops to to create different kinds of tactile experiences of connection and also ones that were maybe beyond skin-to-skin, surface-to-surface um, experiences and looking at what, uh, what they call the, the spaces between bodies as well. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's very fascinating. I mean, if you look at, um, f- uh, for example, modern dancers and 
how they take up space on their own as well and I guess are so aware of their movements their own movement and their own physical um like uh, yeah way of moving within within a larger space um so yeah that will be very interesting to see the results of that that research as well um I guess maybe coming coming back to the very beginning I was just interested because I, I kind of I, I know kind of Carrie's story um, who, who who leads the, the knowledge lab but I, I was interested how you basically came into working within within touch and the fascination for digital touch or touch in general I guess yeah, so um, you mean me personally? Yes, or the yeah, project? yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> okay, so as you said, my, my research background is in media and cultural studies or specifically audience research. Um, I actually came to, um, to that kind of research through work through doing a film degree. I did film and t I studied film and television studies and a bit of theatre studies as well. Um, and I just became interested in um, the role of film and TV in people's lives and did my PhD on um, how people make sense of the media in relation to their fears and worries. So uh, that was more around emotions, uh, emotional experiences, uh, yeah, fears and worries and how, how people, um, how, how, me, how what people watch on film and TV, I suppose, resonate with those and um, moving away from the idea that the media just makes you fearful and just looking, unpacking that, I suppose, um, in relation to various uh, genres and um, kinds of viewing. And um, that, so so that research, <laughs> that was part of my, my PhD. And afterwards, I um, actually ended up on a project um, around tagging technology, um, which was called the Totem Project, Tales of Things and Electronic Memory. Um, and my role is an interdisciplinary project um, with uh, designers, artists, um, computer scientists. And we were looking at what was then still really uncharted territory in terms of the Internet of Things. Um, and this idea that you could tag existing objects in the world with, with certain stories um, and histories. Um, and what we did in that project was to specifically look at, uh, from a social research perspective, perspective look at people who wouldn't be early adopters of this kind of technology and when I say tagging technology that was mainly QR codes and RFID chips at the time. Um, so we worked with um, some older participants, pe people with visual impairments as well, um, and variety, a variety of community groups and we used cameras, uh, we used a form of visual ethnography to explore stories with them around meaningful objects and that brought me across the work of um, Sarah Pink um, who's renowned for visual ethnography and and sensory ethnography and I was very lucky to um, to end up working with Sarah at Loughborough University on a project called LEADER, um, Low Effort Energy Demand Reduction, um, a totally different, in a way a totally different project but Again, using the, the video and um, sense, visual and sensory ethnography as part of our research project to look at how energy was used in the household and how people's everyday practices, activities made energy use um, uh, necessary and meaningful in the home. Um, and so 
through that I was, I was a bit of an apprentice I suppose to Sarah Pink um I learned this this approach of sensory ethnography through working with her and um one of the elements that is quite uh, important I think with sensory ethnography is that that um we're very reflective about what we mean when we talk about different senses and that we we try to maybe break down this idea of the, the Western sensorium of the five senses and look at how senses are both connected and how people um, also just experience the world in you know in a multisensorial way. Um, and also maybe through work through through other kinds of senses that um, aren't defined and are part of the, the Western sensorium as well. So I suppose the the body um, and um, sensory experience generally has been part of my research in that in that sense and then um, when the opportunity with in touch came up I think that was just um yeah a really great um mm-hmm. progression of of looking at how to to um to situate touch I suppose in the multisensorial and in working with Carrie and colleagues uh, the multimodal as well yeah yeah, no, that that sounds sounds really uh, amazing what you've done in the past as well, and and I mean working myself within emerging technologies and and um, in particular immersive technologies, uh, I was wondering what what how you see the future of touch, I guess, but also digital touch going forward, especially when, for example, a lot of our interfaces will become non-touch; they will become. Uh, they will be kind of developed in a way that we just touch from the distance or interact in it from a distance with um, surfaces and objects in particular then I guess especially around what is happening today and trying to avoid to touch anything but there's quite some technology already being developed to interact with objects but without touching objects and and yeah, I was wondering how you how what your views are on that and how you see that evolve as well. I think that tension's always been there to a degree. So um, there are engineers, computer scientists, um, designers who, who who just follow that path of non-touch. Um, and um, I don't think that necessarily that I think one I should <laughs> should start differently. One of the things that I'm coming across in the in the COVID newspaper study is 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 also the the way in which um, discourses and what is deemed as relevant um, or not so relevant changes really quickly. There is a certain fluidity um, and a general uncertainty, I think, in the way we're leading our lives at the moment and. Um, maybe more, maybe more so in terms of not knowing where where the future will take us. Um, but that that means that I think we can't second guess too much about the um, the significance of non-touch technologies in the future. Or we can't. I, basically, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect this to be the end of touch technologies that yet we touch. Um, of course, we do include things like mid-air haptics in, in touch technology as well. So that is something where you're touching ultrasound, I suppose, and um, that is a form of non-touch touch, <laughs> um, which might be something that gets developed uh, maybe with more energy um, after COVID. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I was thinking of, of them, of ultra-haptics, I guess, and now ultra-leap, where they, um, yeah, 
they are kind of really focusing on the non-touch interfaces, non-touch touch, I guess, interfaces, as you said. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, and so that work has been going on, and I think that will probably um, become more interesting, maybe more um, more wanted in the future. Um, but I think there will also, there might be certain ways in which we put um, different safety measures around around touch technologies that you actually touch. Um, so I'm, but I'm not expecting them to go away uh, entirely, I suppose. Um, yeah, because, I mean, sensory input is so important just in the way we do everyday life anyways. So it's something that I guess, I guess if... Obviously, if certain aspects of touch would disappear, obviously our senses will adapt. And and um, but it, it will be interesting to see the impact, obviously, on on yeah, just how the senses would change as well when this kind of non-physical touch would just become the norm rather than uh, obviously there's still, as you said, there's always touch with yourself and and so on. But um, um, yeah, I think yeah, I, I think um, people adapt very quickly in but there are, there are so many continuities um and changes when 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 new technologies come to into people's lives there's actually a lot that people continue to do and with touch touch is interesting as well because obviously there's i mean we are unless you have a specific condition which which changes the way you touch and maybe um maybe doesn't give you touch sensation um and, and even though people's touch experience are, experiences are idiosyncratic, um, generally to an extent, um, touch is always there, and it's and it's it's dispersed across uh, your day. It's dispersed, dispersed across what you, how you touch the environment, how you touch people. Um, I think there is certainly a new sensitivity to how we touch and who we touch and what we can't touch. Um, which is which COVID has brought forward, but I think I think people will find ways around that and just find, as I say, I suppose safe spaces hmm. to touch and and um, yeah, I I think there will be a lot of continuity continuity and adaption rather than um, a disappearance of touch. Yeah. yeah. Might be an optimistic view. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, no. I think. I mean, I in a way, I I think that's. I hope that that will be the case as well because it's something that makes us us as humans. So, um, so I think it is. Uh, it's something to to be seen, obviously, in the future. But I I I, I hope that will be the view <laughs> for the future as well. So, um, I I guess a, a question that I had was kind of what your ideal project would be going forward or just something that you you haven't been able to do today to investigate around touch maybe because of limitations around access to people or access to technology or or um, settings is there anything that would be kind of an ideal scenario that you would like to investigate but you haven't been able to have that opportunity yet that's a really good question um I think what what I'd like to what would be an interesting um, project maybe to follow on from in touch would, would be to take the toolkit that we've designed and put that into different design contexts. That's one of the ideas we've we've had. I suppose um, we've very much worked with students and worked in an educational context. Context design students. Um, we've 
branched out a little bit to um, engineers and computer scientists um, within academia. And it would be great, I suppose, to um, talk to practitioners and see how the toolkit we've, we've put together, um, again, within an interdisciplinary um, uh, sort of collaboration, how that might impact on their everyday practices and whether there's anything that can take from that um, or whether there's anything that would change uh, to improve that that toolkit. Um, and, I, and I guess that, is that something that could be just readily shared in a way with people online so they can just try it out themselves and see how it impacts their work? Yeah, um, so I mean, the idea of digitizing it at the moment um, I call it digitizing it. It basically means creating a website around the toolkit. Yeah. Um, that's that's the, we're in the process of doing that, and um, it will be a toolkit that it will be free to use for people, um, and and free to adapt as well. Um, at least in in a hard copy version, so people can will be able to download individual cards and create their own to add add to the toolkit. Um, but you can, yes, you can just use it as an online tool, and I suppose part of our hope is that we can maybe, um, yeah, use it in that in that sense with with people in the future. Great. No, it's 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 very interesting research. I've always been very fascinated by the work you're doing, um, from from especially from the social science perspective as well. So. Um, I, I guess what what I what I was interested in as well. Have you you've have you always worked in academia, or have you done other things in the past as well before you basically decided to focus? Because you've worked in or you studied film, you said mm -hmm. and media. Um, have you ever done anything within film, or you kind of always wanted to focus on a career in academia? Um, I'm, well, I never thought I would go. I would go to university. So I, I did. Um, my initial plan was to go to film school, and Plan B was go to university. And I suppose the reason I ended up in the UK was because there was um, a, a practical side to to the film and TV degree, um, which which really interested me, which I didn't see as as possible in the in, in the German context, I suppose. Um, but. I, I had a, I've pretty much been in academia, so I've, I had a year between um, school and uh, the start of my studies where I worked on various film sets and theatres and I was trying to build up a bit of a CV and portfolio um, so that I could go to film school and I suppose, I suppose that experience has, um, has been great for having a practical reference point for the actual degree I did in the end. Mm -hmm. And it's also been um, maybe educational in the way that uh, I ended up not ending, <laughs> ending up in that industry. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great industry, and I think it's, very, it's just very hard work in terms of... Um, I suppose job insecurity and uh, my my views of what working in film would be like um, when I was twenty, I suppose are very different from what they are now. Um, and yeah, but I, I think it was it was for me it's been nice to um, have had the practical uh, I suppose uh, yeah education around filmmaking mm -hmm. to then use use film um, in my research as well. So I think that's all been an important backdrop for me. Um, yeah. 
Why did you want to go into film in the first place? Is Was there anything in particular or you were just super fascinated by how that world worked and how, how you kind of, or you, and you wanted to make films yourself, so... Yeah, I wanted to make films myself. So I think I, I felt uh, like a creative, a creative person. Yeah. <laughs> and I came across the, the limits of my creativity pretty quickly. No, I mean, I, I did enjoy making films during the degree, but I think um, the, the, the academic side and the writing and thinking at some point took over, partly because I think I was encouraged into that direction as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, the, the the audience research was just really interesting. There were there were there were lots of developments um, that were changing how we saw the relationship between um, people and the media, and how we saw the role of, of the media in people's lives, the influence I suppose the media was seen to have on people. Um, and where I studied, we were quite critical of um, you know the, the old style media effects de- debates and. Um, so, that, so it was an interesting moment to problematize some older traditions, I suppose, of media communications and media effects research, mm-hmm. to, to give more agency to, to people and how they make sense of, of the media and how they um, are very, very able to navigate <laughs> the media landscape. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess just, just picking on, uh, like continuing on, on that a bit, it's... Because obviously today, compared to, let's say, uh, 10 to 20 years ago, the way audience and media interact with each other has definitely changed because of, I guess, the social media kind of uh, tools that, that are out there, etc. And and the explosion of fake news, I guess, as well. Like, yeah, I was just interested in, um, because you, you come from the backgrounds where your views are... are um, on that change and um, yeah, I guess your views on today's way on how the interaction between audience and media works as well. Mm, I think, yeah, I mean, the, the term audience, I still use the term audience, it's mm. a very contested term. Um, some people started talking about users or, um, you know, there are people are their own producers of um, content online, obviously. Um, the whole yeah, there's a optimistically speaking, there's been a democratization of, mm-hmm. <laughs> of um, social media or the, or the media landscape in that sense. Um, although I think there are still very clear power relations, and um, you know the the, the institutional context of different media um, organisations are still really relevant uh, to study. I think. Um, in a way, I'm I'm quite happy not to be in that particular part of research at the moment, just because it is such so difficult to um, to trace and and find a boundary around. If you if you look at the, the ways in which um, fake news are created, created and um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I was listening to one of your podcasts with the, the American scholar who looks oh, yeah. at yeah, Vicky. Uh, you know. Vicky Callahan. Really amazing. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Vicky yeah. Callahan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um, amazing research. Just uh, looking at you know um, social movements and you know uh, um, people responding to uh, the, the yeah 
the kind of discourses that came from the White House at the time and so on. Um, I think it's just such a fast-moving um, area of, of research and um, really, really important in that it's important to find, I think, find the truth and find evidence and use, use, um, use uh, yeah, facts or evidence meaningfully in, in, in these contexts. Um, so I think it's really important but a really difficult area of research. And as you say, um, it, there is a question about where, where the audience is in that context. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting one. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it, it's 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 very fascinating to see as well, like that that evolution as well, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm very fascinated to kind of revisit with Vicky at some point as well, uh, in terms of obviously the current state in the U.S. and how kind of that all, uh, uh, yeah, has has impacted, I guess, the way the the news has been, um, or or stories have been told from a factual point of view, or just um, other point of view as well so it will be very interesting to revisit that with her as well going forward um, so obviously you are a woman in research in academia I was just wondering what um, like what what is your view on future for women going in that career and um, in particular or and, and whether you have any advice on, on how to approach that best for students now today yeah, so um, I've been really fortunate, I think, in that I've been working with great female role models in in academia, and um, I think there are more and more spaces for women in academia. Um, it's been interesting to look at how the working landscape has changed, I suppose, over the last few months, and how um, there's been, a, I suppose, an increased flexibility um, of working from home, but at the same time, um, lots of uh, stories of, 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 you know, very gendered setups, I suppose, in, in those contexts where families have stayed at home and maybe um, the, 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 you know, issues around childcare reverted back to a more traditional model and so on, so that's it's interesting to think um, that certain certain ways of doing things around that sort of persist, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, that's quite a yeah, it's quite a complex debate to get into, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I think what my feeling is of women in academia in general, and I should give out a sh- uh, give a shout out to a group that I found really helpful in uh, the last couple of years. Um, which is called the Women in Academia Support Network, um, which is on Facebook. These are all these are women, women in academia from across the world who um, just support each other in everyday <laughs> challenges. Um, so celebrate each other's work as, as well, celebrate each other's achievements. And um, it's been yeah really helpful and insightful to be part of that network often just as a quiet person reading things but also sometimes asking for advice or engaging in in debate um i think what is important for anyone in academia but maybe women especially is is to carve out your own role and carve out the space that you want to be in and work on the kind of academia that you feel um works for you, I suppose, or um, 
yeah, I mean, I've had recent conversations about my, my own future in academia and, um, and I think the, yeah, the, the, the result of those conversations was to think, think a bit more carefully about what, what it is I want to get out of academic life and um, all the freedom that comes with academia, but also all the challenges um, that you work within. Um, so looking at for role models, I think, is always a great thing and looking at how learning from other people's career trajectories and realising that there's no one way of doing academia. There's not no one way of um, creating a career in that in that in those different disciplinary fields. Um, even though there are lots and lots of restrictions and structures that you need to work within or uh, or work towards changing, um, there are ways of finding your own path. I suppose. Yeah. In, yeah. In that world. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great <laughs> message uh, for everyone, and and yeah, it, it 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 obviously works not only in academia; it works for a lot of other areas of uh, work life as well. So, um, great. Um, yeah, I mean, this was very very interesting to kind of learn more about your work and uh, what you're focusing on and so on and. Um, I'll definitely, um, yeah, add, add kind of links and so on to, to what you're working on. I, I would suggest, like, do you have any final comments before we go into the quick fire quiz in terms of some last minute plugs or... Um... Um, I'm hoping that I'm not offending any psychologists we've been working with. I'm trying to think. I know, I know Sarah Price, who works on our project, has a, has a background in psychology. I'm not sure if she would call herself as, as a psychologist working on the project. So, yeah, I'm just apologising in advance in case I've said something wrong. Oh. Uh, in terms of plugging, yeah, I mean, if you could include the link to our website, that would be yep. brilliant. Yep. Um, and we do have a, a, we do have some podcasts on our website as well um, and some thinking pieces, some regular blog posts, which people might find of interest. Um Okay, no, but that's great. Yeah, I'll definitely add the website and a link to kind of um, that podcast as well. That, that would be really great to kind of listen to because I haven't listened to it myself, actually. So that, that will be really interesting to learn more about. Um, yeah, so yeah. I should say as well that we, we did have a mid-project book, um, the Interdisciplinary Insights and Digital Touch Communication, and that is available as open access. So, um, again, if you go on our website, you'll find links to that. Okay, great. Yeah, okay, very good um so yeah um let's go into the quick fire quiz now um uh, where yeah um, you can tell us a bit more about what you're currently reading etc and um and yeah we can learn even more a bit more about yourself as well so so yeah the first question what are you currently reading um could be fiction non-fiction could be a newspaper anything <laughs> okay yeah i'm reading a lot of newspaper articles at the moment yeah um I'd like to say I'm reading something at the moment. I've, I'm one of those people who has um, a pile of books on my uh, bedside table, and I've started a few and not finished very many. So a friend recently gave me um, Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman, um, which I started, but I'm, I'm literally just through the first few pages. But I think it's the kind of book that will probably resonate because it is about... Um, you know, the mundanity, mundanity, mundane aspects of everyday life, I suppose, and issues around loneliness that will probably be relevant to our research as well. Um, 
the last book I actually managed to finish was a children's book. So I read a lot with my children and the children read to me. And one book that I, I read recently um, is called The Land of Raw. <laughs> and I read it because I, I picked it up in a coffee shop um, where I live. Um, and it's, uh, it was... It was really. I read it to to see whether it would be um, of interest to my six year old daughter, mm-hmm. and um, I just ended up enjoying the read and continue. So that's definitely one. The <laughs> land of recommend. war, you said, right? The land of war. Land of raw, and I can't oh, actually yeah. <laughs> remember the author, but um, it's it's especially relevant, I think, to children who are planning or who are on their uh, on their transition from primary school to secondary school because mm-hmm. that's one of the topics in it. But, yeah, it's about dragons and crows and, um, yeah, powerful girls as well. Okay, very good. Okay, really interesting. Uh, yeah, good children's... Yeah, it, what I often love is the also the... the the animations in some of the children's that I've seen so far, it's like incredible um, and, and really closely, yeah, it's just, just really well done and fits perfectly with the story and everything. It's, it's quite amazing to see, which you often miss in adult books <laughs> or yeah. the, 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 well, the fiction books that we currently read. Um, so yeah, uh, your favorite science and tech invention or tech invention and why? Um, so probably the telephone mm-hmm. and also everything that encompasses now, so that would include the internet, quite a broad yeah. one. Um, I think just generally that I still find it amazing that we can connect at a distance, and I suppose the phone was one of the early ones of doing that, and it's a bit, it feels like a bit of magic. Um, for me personally, it's important because I live in a different country to my family and lots of my friends, um, and generally I'm sort of globally connected with the people I studied with and so on, so um, even though it's more than a mobile phone now, um, yeah, I remember going to the phone box and calling my parents from university and things like that, so um yeah, the principles. Just being able to call someone in your town. <laughs> um, yeah, I think yeah, the phone probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The principle hasn't changed much compared to thirty years ago, I guess. From calling yeah. someone, aside from the the shape of the phone, but it's still very much the similar approach to calling someone, which is yeah, which is incredible. It's true. It's like magic in a way, especially um, uh, yeah, today even more. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, an album or a song that impacted you in some way, and why, or how did it impact you? So I find it a bit hard to um, to uh, uh, um, let me call it identify identify myself or to 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 connect my identity to any music that I listen to. I think my musical taste is quite eclectic, and um, I don't know, it's quite self conscious about music, but. Uh, we do have an in-touch Spotify playlist that I should mention, and it's um, it's just called Touch. It's a collaborative playlist that people can contribute to it. Um, and I suppose there are some songs on there that resonate. Um, I was looking at it yesterday, and uh, there were two songs that I thought were interesting. So these songs are all meant to either address touch in some way or touch us in, in, a, in, a, in a different way. And, um, one is called um, one is Annie Lennox's Broken Glass, which okay. is from the, from the album Diva, which I think my brother probably had when we were growing up. Um, 
it's an interesting song. One of the things with me in music is that I never quite listen to the lyrics properly. <laughs> so with Broken Glass, you can be misled by the by the tune of the song, which is very, it's almost upbeat, but the, the, the lyrics, of course, are quite negative. Um, but yeah, this, this imagery of, of Broken Glass, um, I suppose, is, is an interesting one. Resonates in terms of um, definitions of touch and how... Hmm. Yeah, what kind of touch we might think about. Um, and there's another one, uh, which is Together in Electric Dreams, from the, the film Electric Dreams, okay. uh, I think 1980 something, 84. Um, and this is, I don't know if you know the film, it's about this relationship, love triangle between um, a man, a woman, and a personal computer. And it's, um, the story I think is so, it's, yeah, it, it resonates still, I think, with, with, our relationship with technology to this day so it's quite I just find it quite funny okay, I haven't um, seen it I think so I'll definitely check it out it reminds me a bit of her but her obviously is an artificial intelligence um, exactly yeah it's very connected yeah. to that yeah Yeah. great yeah. Um, Great. so and then finally uh, recommendation of work by a female scientist or women in tech and why her I would say um, there's a there's a, a professor of computer science at British Columbia called Karen McLean, mm-hmm. um, who's worked in touch technology, and um, I think she's inspiring for for being a, a woman in computer science, which um, I guess is still is still under uh, underrepresented field. Um, although there've been so many really important women in computer science. Yeah, totally. um, She's been she's inspiring in the sense that she's she's amazingly prolific. She's you know her research is um, you know she, she's done research for decades. I think she's been very um, she's published lots, um, and I think my sense is that she's supported lots of people along the way, um, lots of students, and I think her approach is a bit interdisciplinary as well. And um, I had the pleasure of meeting her um, at the In Touch headquarters at the Knowledge Lab mm-hmm. um, a little while ago, and she's, she's uh, you know, also an amazingly uh, approachable person, very friendly person, very supportive. So, yeah, her name is Karen McLean. Okay, so very good. I would recommend her work. She's done work on robotics and um, people's emotion, emotional relationships with um, haptic creatures and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> and like many other things. Okay, very interesting. No, I'll definitely check her out as well. Um, yeah, so th- thank you so much for taking part in the podcast, and and it was really great to kind of learn more about your work and what you where you came from, and and I guess your interest in the field as well. And um, is there a, like any way that so I'll definitely add the website and and some other links. Is there any way that what what would be the best way for people to get in touch is it through your i guess the uh, website that people can from ucl for example that people could get in touch if they want to collaborate or or learn more about what you're doing yes i mean we're 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 on twitter as well so we've got a project account and then um i've got a personal account on there as well but email i suppose yeah if you email us that's probably a straightforward way of reaching out yeah Okay, very good. Yeah, I'll definitely add the Twitter accounts as well uh, of InTouch and, and your Twitter accounts. So, um, great. 
Um, yeah, I mean, thank you so much for taking the time. And um, yeah, I wish you all the best going forward with everything that you do. And, and yeah, looking forward to being in touch <laughs> physically uh, at some point in the future as well, like to see each other and uh, again and uh, any any further um, uh, work that you're doing, I'll definitely uh, be, keep following as well to 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 learn more uh, for my own interests and experiences. So so yeah, thank you again for taking part. Thank you. And we've been learning lots from you as well. So thanks for that. We've really enjoyed that connection. So thank you. Th thanks, Gerson. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. Have a nice day.